Welcome to DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender Ed, Blender HD. And it's Monday, so you know what happens on Monday. It's Mondays with McCool, James McCool, paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter, and the co-author with me on the theory of daily fantasy sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass that you could pick up at theoryofdfs.com. If you're in the YouTube chat, Asuki Singh here uh, here first as usual. See real-life picture, Daniel Hutchings, Dear Saseda, Alex Hooper, Anthony Golden, Matt Mears, Jim Steele, DFS Voodoo. Uh-oh. The Voodoo is here. Card fan is there also. Hit that thumbs up button. Give me those tummy thumbs. Hit the subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Uh, preseason is over, James, for, for NFL finally. I, I could it's it's NFL season now. I I'm uh, past uh basically next Thursday the first NFL game starts. It's on a Thursday, uh, obviously a showdown slate. I'm pretty much winding down my my MLB play. I'll, I'm, I'm playing tonight. I'm playing. You know they have the super knuckleball or whatever. Uh, but uh, I'll be focusing prim- primarily on on NFL. Uh, and this show goes on. Remember, this is the DFS pregame show. So. Monday through Friday, five game, five days a week. Uh, next Monday, we'll be doing a, an early crunch, MLB crunch time. So that'll be preempted then. But no, there's still Monday showdown, Thursday showdown, Sunday slate, learning from Sunday slate, looking like there's tons of strategy stuff uh, to talk about. There'll be shows here on Roto Grinders. That we're coming out with the media schedule this week, I believe. Uh, so there'll be, there'll be shows all, all, all throughout the week. All throughout the week, there'll be content. Sign up for Roto Grinders Premium, ten dollars off your first month with the link in the description. But James, uh, I don't pay attention to really pay attention to preseason. Uh, I mean, I see what happens on Twitter. I mean, I, I it's on my Twitter timeline. You know, I know what I, J.K. Dobbins is out for the season, right? Brashad Perriman just got cut. I mean, I, I keep up, you know, whatever's in there. But like, I'm I'm not I'm not playing the preseason slates and. I'm not looking at target shares and playing time and coach speak and beat reporters. Uh, is there anything that you take out of preseason NFL that goes into how your, how your model is working and how you're projecting week one? Cause, cause I mean, some of these, some of these players aren't even playing. I mean, like some of the starters that are going to be like, you know, wide receiver one, like they, they don't even play. Right. Like, so how do you necessarily take, anything out of preseason that is worth the crap i mean you really can't um th- there are some situations where like 
take like the Jets, where we saw Corey Davis have a significant role in the preseason. And like I know that the same way that you do because I just have Twitter. Um, I don't really pay that much attention to preseason, but I'll like go over and I'll go through the preseason stats with like a relatively fine comb. Um, I'll pay attention to target shares. Uh, I don't really care so much about snaps. That that doesn't matter. In in season, snap counts matter a lot. In season, how often a player is on the field matters a lot. But what matters in the preseason more is what happens when the player is on the field, right? So um, situations like Corey Davis for the Jets, uh, he had a significant market share when he was on the field. So I'm probably going to be paying attention to that and going through that with my with my models and making sure that he has a decent market share. Um, situations like tight ends where uh, I, I think that it was somebody, it might've been Logan Thomas that was on the field that had like a 24% mark share or something like that. I don't remember exactly off the top of my head, but tight ends that have a significant market share in the preseason, that matters as well. Um, especially because tight ends, like it falls off so hard that if you can find a tight end that is cheap in the beginning of the season that was getting a significant portion of the targets when they were on the field in the preseason, I do want to pay attention to that. But most of it is just production when they're on the field and that that comes from the starters. But even more so, it only comes from like situations that have a lot of variance from last season, right? So uh, something like the Seahawks, right? Like we know who the Seahawks are. We know that it's DK Metcalf. We know that it's Tyler Lockett. We know that it's that it's Russ Wilson. Um, that like we know what that offense is. We don't have to make that many changes to that offense. Situation like the Jets, we have to pay attention a little bit more and make some more guesses and make some more assumptions based on preseason stuff. But um, a lot of it is just the, the the most important part I think for for preseason is paying attention and seeing where there's an edge from people who are going to be paying too much attention to the preseason. Um, and not enough to last season. So because it's fresh in their heads, uh, taking advantage of situations like that, I think is important. Something you can do in the first four weeks of the season. Do you, do you think that many people take so much out of preseason? I don't think that a lot of casual people take a lot out of the preseason, but I think that there are probably still some uh, some industry heads that might pay too much attention because they have significant biases towards players that were either drafted or were kind of buried on the depth chart last year. And then they'll be like, oh, well, look how good they did in the preseason. They're going to carve themselves out of role. And, you know, may maybe it's not significant. Maybe they just give them a little bit more. Maybe they pencil them in as like the number three wide receiver instead of the number four. Maybe they pencil them in instead of three into the two spot or something like that. But I think that you can glean that kind of info and they're going to be giving that info to other people. It, it presents maybe like, a two percent edge or something but i do still think that it's worth noting right we noticed uh for the first week of uh nfl season that because the sites come out with pricing so far in advance and they do that obviously for marketing purposes they want people making lineups building you know and entering contests and where they're not going to do it like they normally do you know the sunday night beforehand mm -hmm. Like no, they they got so much lead time that let's 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 fill up these contests and people typically don't enter unless they can make a lineup. So the first week is I consider the first week and the last week to be the most uh, the weeks with the most aberration, the most possibility for salary inefficiency because we have the with first week because the prices are out for so long and people are caught, roles change, injuries. 
Like it's wildly inefficient. And then the last week of the season, we have teams that are sitting people and we get, you know, a, a full team that has, you know, all three K wide receivers because you're playing cash games and you're playing against people that are not observant at all. I mean, the first week is great because, you know, you, you play the, the $3,400 guy that should be 6,000, right? You, you, you look, you look around, you see so much good value and you just jam as much of it in as possible. Yes. There's still variance in that, but there's most likely going to be inefficiently priced players. Uh, it's hard to get, it's hard to get that wrong as a whole. Do you believe with me that, like you said, I you think that there's some people that take preseason too much into account, but I think that's a very small minority. I actually think that the biggest edge in NFL DFS is at, is week two, is when there actually is one regular season game that we could look and go, oh, wide receiver one on this team has a 35% target share uh in this game that uh, we didn't we expected only an 18 percent and now oh no they're the alpha of the offense now and then they expect the next oh they're now they were they were 4800 and they have 30 the fantasy points because they went uh 11 for 15 11 for 150 and a touchdown and uh now that they're oh they only got priced up to 5400 like they're chalk 20 22 percent owned and then they come back down to a what you projected to begin with, like an 18 to 20% target share. People take that one game sample size like way too drastically, either positively or negatively, that that's what, what the salary inefficiency is there in the first week, which is easy to identify. The ownership inefficiency to me is week two, week three, week four. Because by the time you get to week 14 and you have, 13 weeks worth of data, which is still a, still a small sample size. People think it's a big one, but it's not. At least at that point, you're more likely to be accurate, at least in the, like the, the median range of, of outcomes of these players. But the second week, I mean, when we, we see this every year, people, people go by like last year's information and go, oh, these, this defense is good, that defense is bad. This run defense is good. That pass defense, right? That, but you know, there's so much turnaround in the NFL that most of the time you don't even know what any of that is until halfway through the season. Taking advantage of that, I think, is more likely weeks two through four than it is week one. I'm not saying week one people have their biases, but there's so much salary inefficiency on week one. Sometimes the ownership is. Sometimes we're gonna have we're gonna have people on week one that are 25% owned and probably under owned, right? So like, like taking advantage of, of ownership, like isn't worth it as much because you're giving up so much projection by doing so that if, if there's going to be three guys that are significantly underpriced that are 25, 30, 35% owned, it's quite possible their efficient ownership is 40, 45, 50% owned and you should be playing them anyway. Yet you're going to hear a lot of talk on, oh, everyone knows that's the value play. So fade it. Uh, I think in week one, there, there's just too many casual players in a lot of these big tournaments that just don't identify those, those, those salary inefficiencies. So do you, do you, do you, do you, I mean, first off, do you agree more with me? I mean, some people still think that week one is 
Like, no, this is this is the biggest edge. And there's also people on the other end of the spectrum like, oh, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. So play lightly. And as a GPP player, I think the complete opposite. I said the more there is that we don't know, the consensus we don't know, that means there's more variance. That means there's more that I could take advantage of. It's much different in on a, on a week 16 slate where almost everyone is priced efficiently and there's not much that we don't know. So you're kind of like scraping by trying to find the small edge here and the small edge there. I think in the beginning of the season, there's much bigger edges. It's just that you have to be willing to embrace the variance of like, just go against the grain and, uh, and, and, and hope most of the field is wrong. Uh, yeah. So first, um, I do think, I think week two, three, and four are probably the best week to run a LDFS. Um, and there's a couple reasons why the, the first one really for me is that people insist on using last year's data, uh, which you mentioned. And so don't, oh, don't you have to use last year's data to some extent, right? So to some extent, yes, but I think there's a lot more guesswork involved. I, like, I think that people take last year's data too much into account. And like I said, with situations like the Seahawks, like we know who the Seahawks are, but we have absolutely no idea who the Jets are. We have absolutely no idea who it, you know, even a situation like the Dolphins, like we can look at the Dolphins and you can say, oh, well, we have this data from last year on Tua. We have this data last year on Parker. But like we, we know who these players are. It's like in, in 17 games, you don't really know anything. You just don't. And in nine games of Tua playing last year where he didn't really know the offense, um, they, they said that they had to dumb down the offense, that he wasn't ready for it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, like nine games of Tua last year, we have no idea if that's who he's going to be this year. That, that year-over-year jump is pretty significant that we can have between quarterbacks or different offenses or different ways that players put together, stuff like that. So even in a situation like the Dolphins where – you have to use a little bit of last year's data, but at the same time, this could be a completely different team. Um, I think people uh, people use too much of last year's data and don't trust this year's data enough. And you know how I am with short samples where I want to jump on things before other people do. Now, I'm not going to use that week one data and say, oh, this wide receiver is going to have a 35% market share. Like, I'm just going to plug that in because you're right that he just gets a $600 jump and now he is going to be way too owned. But I am going to look at that and say, well, maybe things have changed. And then I'm going to try to take advantage of people who are still using last year and take advantage of people who think they know what this year is going to be. So I just think that embracing the, the unknowns is important in weeks two through four because people try to uh, people try to adhere and anchor on to what they thought they knew rather than embracing the new information. So um, it, it goes into that. I also think there's significant edge just simply in people playing defenses that they think are good. Um, we know that defenses don't even stabilize until like week eight of the year. Um, and that's stabilized as much as we think that they do. And people will say, oh, well, the Washington football team's defense was really, really good last year. So I'm not going to attack them this year. And we, we've seen every single year. Oh, well, the Jaguars were the best team in the league last, the best defense in the league last year. I can't attack them. And then they suck. The Bears, best defense in the league last year. I can't attack them, and then they suck. Like, it's every single year. The, the Panthers, it, it was the Panthers one year. Can't attack them, and then they're not good. Um, 
And so I think there's a lot of edge in that. There's a lot of edge in just straight up attacking biases that you have from the year before. Because that 17 game sample size, one, is super duper small. Uh, and two, there's so much change that happens over the offseason with players changing, schemes changing, coaches changing, QBs changing, um, positional, and everything changes so much in the offseason that that 17 game sample that was already small in the first place it becomes almost insignificant. So there's a lot of edge in trying to take advantage of people's biases that they hold from the year before and uh, over overweighting last year's data. For me, I think there's a lot of edge in that. I just try to take advantage of a lot of the ownerships. Um, I don't think that there is a lot that we can glean from the first game of the season. I think there's uh, even less probably that we can glean from the second game of the season, but you can take advantage of people who are overweighting the, that kind of stuff. And taking advantage of ownership is the best thing to do in the beginning of the season for me. Right. I mean, I take advantage of the defense stuff the, the full time I played the yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, absolutely. Like, like, to me, to me, I, the defense almost doesn't matter to me. I mean, I try to play good players regardless, just good players that are low owned for, because of that type of reason. I side with the good play, with the talent over the matchup. And I do that in all sports. I do that in basketball. Oh, everyone's playing this guy because you know they're they're playing the Sacramento Kings and it's a two thirty five total, and I'm playing Bradley Beal against you know the Nuggets, and he's one and a half percent owned. It's like, well, he's still Bradley Beal. I mean, he's still like they're still star players, and even in quote bad matchups, they're not as bad as they. He should only be one point five percent owned. So, like in these situations where oh you can't play this running back because they're they're facing the Third best rushing defense. It's like, well, he's a, is, is he a top tier running back? I'm, I'm going to play, I'm going to play Dalvin Cook at 8% owned. That's the, there's no, there's no problem with that. Oh, you can't play. You can't play. You can't play receivers against this team. It's like I'm playing DK Metcalf could burn anyone. So like, I'm going to play DK Metcalf at 4% ownership when everyone else is playing Devonte Adams in a cake matchup. Maybe I'm playing them both, but to me, it's not that defense doesn't matter. It's just that it's heavily overweighted by the field, that matchup dynamic or, or looking at uh, coverage grades and wide receiver cornerback matchups. Does it matter? It's one of those BVP things. Like it, it probably does, but you're never going to know when it does or doesn't. And plus uh, we, we deal a lot of, don't you, don't you believe that a lot of analysis, like game analysis on trying to predict how the game is going to go is built around rational coaching, like yes. what they should do versus what they will do. Yeah. And our job is not that our, our job is to consider the range of outcomes of what they can do versus what they will possibly do. And there are tons of times we see, you know, it's like, Oh, Hunting on fourth and one from the 38. I mean, like, 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 dude, mo most of these coaches are bad, like just bad. And they're not, they're not going to do what our, our, our data is showing they should be doing. They're not going to give the touches to the people that they should be giving it to. They're not going to call the plays that they think they're going to change their mind week after week of go, no, we're going to go and attack this team. We're going to go and play. We, unless you're in the closed practices, you have no, you, you, you have no idea 
how these coaches are going to act. And I think the field tries, I think a lot of people try to, like they're trying to predict an exact outcome based on what things like, oh, well, they should be giving this guy 80% of the carries. Well, it should be. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. They probably should be, but they're not. So like, don't think in terms of, well, this defense is bad. This uh, they, People try to find all these data points. And then at the end of the day, you get to the game and it's like, oh, well, the, the coach doesn't care about what you scouted. The coach cares about what he scouted and what, and he has 30 years of previous biases to go by, right? He has a job, obviously, to keep. I mean, we see with the with those those fourth and one types of decisions and not kicking the field goal types of decisions. Even on the broadcast themselves, you'll have old-fashioned commentators that are like, well, the analytics say that this is, they'll put it up on the screen. They'll say, given the analytics, you should be doing this, but the coach isn't. And uh, I agree because you can't lose the game that way. Like, like some old, like trying to, trying to save your job type of things. Like, like if, if, the, if they kick a field goal here and tie the game, like none of the fans and, and they're not going to lose their job over it. But if they go for it, which is technically the right move, like, and fail, which they're going to do, and they're going to fail 42% of the time, then all of a sudden the newspapers read, you know, the fire the coach. types of things and it's perpetuated that way i think i think a lot of dfs uh, average dfs players fall into that type of trap of what i need to scout the game and figure out uh what these teams should be doing when you're you're not part of the nfl coaching staff like if you're not at the practice field in close practice like you're you're guessing as much as anyone else what i call uh tony pollard syndrome the entire industry just knows that Tony Pollard is just so much better than Ezekiel Elliott. Like, oh man, if Tony Pollard got the Ezekiel Elliott role, like, man, he would be everything. Guess what? He doesn't. He just doesn't. Like, that they they play Ezekiel Elliott because that's what they want to do. And Tony Pollard's the RB2, and he's only going to get that role if Ezekiel Elliott gets hurt. And then, guess what? When Ezekiel Elliott's healthy again, He's going to be the starter. It doesn't matter what we think, man. Like, it doesn't matter what the biases that we hold are. It doesn't matter if we think that, uh, like, Chris Boucher, right? NBA. Man, DFS industry loves Chris Boucher. He is just God's gift to DFS because he's, like, 4,500. And when he plays 25 minutes, he's going to destroy that salary. Like, if he plays 25 minutes, he's putting up 37 fantasy points. And then the industry's like, oh man, if, if only he plays this many minutes, oh man. And they, they want him to play that many minutes because they want him to be underpriced because they want him to be this DFS winner. They want to win the GPP with this under-owned points per minute God. But guess what? He's only going to play 15 minutes. Because it doesn't matter what we want. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what our biases are. And so many people, so many people in this industry, really smart people, fall into this with players they think are good in every single sport. It does not matter. Every single sport. There's so many people in this industry that fall into that, that trap of, oh, well, if only he, if the coaches were to just do this, then, you know, we, we would be on easy street. Like, look, 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 James, the, the past three years, I think the past two or three years that I would say with 
what would end up this this is what would happen the past three years two years maybe two i think maybe two years christian kirk is injured it's andy isabella season and then he gets plays eight snaps it's like like no like they have the cardinals have seven wide receivers and for some reason he doesn't we you may think he's a talented wide receiver he probably should be the wide receiver three for for the cardinals and then he then he, then he plays his normal seven snaps and gets one target. You know, maybe it's an end zone target. Maybe he does get a touchdown or something. But that oh, happens all the time with though. right. But it happens all the time with uh, a run. It, Dalvin Cook goes down. It's Alexander Madison season, and everyone's like, "Well, he should be getting ninety percent of the snaps now." It's like, nope, forty percent of the snaps. And you see uh, Abdullah in there. You see Mike Boone in there. They're going by committee, and it's like, well, this guy should like well. Well, they're not like, don't, don't act as if like, you know, exactly. And that's why I always mention that the, the practice field, it's like the biggest edge you could possibly have in NFL DFS is access to closed practices. Cause they're obviously going to be, you know, towards Friday and Saturday, they're essentially going to be running their like first quarter script, like as practice and whatever the coach's game plan is for that game is going to be revealed in that, you know, that first, you know, 20 plays that they draw up for that matchup. But you you don't know that. Beat reporters don't know that. The only people that know that is the coaching staff and the players. Like, that would be a huge edge because it'd be like, oh, oh, they plan on going, they plan on giving one series to this running back and the other series to the other running back. We keep on thinking that this guy's going to get it 90%, or it could be the vice versa. Or it could be, oh, they're going to be playing two tight end sets versus three wide receiver sets. But we don't have that information. That's the information that would be valuable, but we don't get it. Everything else would be speculating. And I find that when speculating, at best, you're getting half of it right and half of it wrong. And at best, uh, you're not going to know which, uh, which, which half is right and which half is wrong until... Uh, after lock and the game starts so i don't i don't find it useful to project like what oh it's going to be two tight ends versus three wide receiver versus they're going to run the ball x amount of times because of this like i i, I just I, i'm not i'm not a i'm not a game film person and it's it's because i just don't i don't think there's enough i don't think the r if we can measure the r of the the watching the film to how it relates to DFS success is just very weakly correlative. Not, not, not correlative, but like just so weak that like, if, if you didn't do anything other than play the teams that have high totals and just stack those games, like over the course of, of, of a full season, you probably end up doing better than watching any of them. Yeah, I think I I don't watch sports <laughs> except for like island games. I, and the only reason why I watch those is because I can watch them on my phone. And uh, I, I I probably wouldn't be doing that this year because I have a kid now. And so You're I, not going to watch Red Zone on Sundays? No, I don't. Oh, you don't? You don't even do that? That's no. fun. <laughs> no. I got other things to do. I, I like going uh, I like going out. I like going downtown. I like doing, and, and now that I have a kid, like I, I'm going to go like to the aquarium or something. I don't know, but um no i, I don't watch so your son this is your son and while we're all sweating red zone you're at the aquarium yeah probably yeah 
<laughs> and like I'm paying attention, like I, I'm paying attention to injuries. That's the only thing. Um, because like if if there's a player that is questionable in the later games, right? Like I have to pay attention to that if I plan on having uh well actually I have to pay attention to it if I have players in the later games, right? Because I have to pay attention to late flop stuff. If I know there's a wide receiver who is questionable, then I probably am going to try to build a lineup, if possible, to where I can late swap, late swap off of them if I have them, or to their replacement if I don't, if I think that it's a situation worth monitoring. Otherwise, I, I don't care. I'm just going to go about my day on Sunday because so much of the lock happens like at lock for NFL that, uh, that I, I don't really care that much. Um, I will watch sometimes the Sunday night game. Usually I will watch the Thursday night game. Uh, the Monday night game is um, a lot of garbage most of the time. So I Thursday is mostly garbage. Thursday. Oh, is that, is that the way it is? Okay. So yeah, typically Thursday watch. is the, it's the Browns versus the Ravens and something boring. 39 total or something, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah, I'll usually, I'll skip the Thursday game. I usually watch the Monday game. I'll, I'll usually watch the one that's more exciting. Um, you're not I, watching I, to scout the teams or anything. You're no, watching. I, you're watching the same way that you'd watch a television show. It's like yeah, I'm watching because I'm bored and because I have a showdown lineup. Right. <laughs> I don't care. I'm not watching because I want to like see how these teams are treating their players. It'll, I'll see it in the data. I'll see it in the data. I don't care, especially with snap counts. Like a couple of years ago, when we didn't have reliable snap count data, I did watch the games because I wanted to know who was on the field. Not because I want to know how good they were, but because I want to know who was on the field. And that mattered. Now that we have snap count stuff, I don't care. I, I know that this player played 65% of the snaps last game, and I thought he was going to play 30%. Okay, well, I, I suppose I should look more into that situation. But if he played 35% and I thought he was going to play 30 like, all right, moving on. It doesn't matter. So I don't watch games. Uh, I, I think that watching the game should be something that you do to enjoy yourself. But a lot of people, and I, I don't even think that it's a conscious thing. I think a lot of people subconsciously will develop really, really nasty biases. Um, we talk about it in the in theory DFS and psychology section. We, we talk a lot about developing these biases towards players and towards situations, towards circumstances that either confirm your priors or are going to significantly change the way that you think about situations moving forward when it's a one-game sample size and it probably doesn't matter all that much anyway. So I try to avoid that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of people are susceptible to developing those biases. And I tell people in the Discord uh, that if you think that you are going to develop a bias from watching a player and you really care about your DFS play, like just be careful with it. Make sure you're telling yourself, uh, this is a one game sample size, don't overreact to it. Because so many people just develop those really, really nasty mental biases towards players, towards situations, towards teams. Um, they can really mess them up long-term in DFS and short-term. Well, sometimes watching the games, you could act, actually is a benefit for getting context on certain things that other people don't have. Now you can see it in the data, but sometimes what ends up happening is, uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, a two running back situation and the ball's like within the 10 yard line, you know, in the, in the red zone. And, like we have a we have a run we have a, the the starting whatever the main running back gets stuffed like seven times in that area, and like the other running back comes in like twice and gets both touchdowns, and you look at that and you go uh oh, uh oh got to you know they look at the touchdowns and not look at the fact that 
you really should be looking at goal line carries to begin with. It's like, no, they were, they, some teams play with change of pace stuff where the p- person that gets the, the goal line carries is just happens to be the one that happens to be in, right? We, we, one running back is on the field for, you know, two first downs and then comes off. And then there's a big play, 32 yard pass to the three yard line. Well, the other running back ain't coming back on because he's already on the field. They're rushing up and they're going to run the ball in. Now, if they just progressed 10 yards and got a first down, then the other running back would come back in and, and they would go back and forth. So like a lot of, a lot of this, a lot of the, I think a lot of the variance in, in running backs to me, I think, uh, I would hope you agree with this, that people, there are a lot of people that still think the NFL is the same way it was in 2015. And I think in the past three years, it has dramatically shifted. If you go back to old NFL DFS content, you go on Roto Grinders, even back 2014, 2015, when we had David Johnson, Levy and Bell, Bell Cow type stuff, type running backs. And you go like, well, running back is the most the most stable position, right? Typically you, you find your safe floor points at running back and it's the wide receivers that are highly variant, right? If there's a high on wide receiver, fade it. High on running backs are good. And to me, I think it's, I think it's almost the complete opposite. I, I almost think that outside of maybe guys like Cook and McCaffrey, like guys that like are going to be on the field like almost almost 100% of the time, uh, and even then, even then it's changed a bit, that the touchdown variance for, what, for running backs are, is so big that I think top-end wide receivers are actually less variant than them. I thought the guys like Devontae Adams and Tyree, and even even Tyreek Hill, which you go back to 2017, it's like 8,000 for Tyreek Hill. You can't do that because he'll see six targets and hopefully he takes a long one. Can't play him at high ownership. You'd rather play, you know, a possession receiver. Or you'd rather play Sterling Shepard, right? Like someone like that instead. And I I think the I think still there's still the majority of people that are building lineups like, okay, I'm gonna take the two best running backs. And I'm going to get different at wide receiver. And I found more success. Like to me, the high end wide receivers are the sa- are the safest ones. And the, and the, and the mid range running backs. That's where like you could, I believe you could find cheap touchdowns because it's very similar. Like in soccer DFS, just to bring in, I know a lot of people don't play soccer DFS, but I do talk about it sometimes on Fridays that the, the GPP strategies a lot of times is finding cheap goals. I'd much rather take a 5K forward from a slight underdog team that has less, less of a chance of scoring a goal. But he's, if that team scores a goal, it's most likely through him. Then pay 9,000, pay almost twice as much for someone that has much better odds to score a goal. They're on a much better team, a bigger favorite. But it's soccer and goals can come from anywhere right? He's the most likely to score, but he's the most likely to score at like 60%. But there's uh, there's nine other outfield players that could score that goal. So like in football, I view that as the running backs more so than the wide receivers. I could find a 5K running back that scores a touchdown. And at 5K scoring a touchdown with, uh, with 50 yards rushing, 60 yards rushing, two targets two receptions for 20 yards or something like for 5k getting like 18 points 
out of that spot, that's that's not a big deal because they, they may be running back. They, some we have some slates where there's no running back that scores more than 22 points total. There's none none of them. And but at wide receiver, the high end wide receivers have so much higher ceilings on DraftKings, especially because of the hundred yard bonus and the point and the full point PPR. That like I'd much rather have in a GPP lineup just stack and, and I'm all three wide receiver. You'll see some, a lot of my GPP builds that have all three wide receivers are $6,500 or more. All three of them are, it's on, you know, I'm playing Adams, Metcalf and, and Hopkins or something and paying down at running back, paying but 6k and a 5k running back. And my win condition right there is as long as I get touchdowns out of my running backs. And as long as a 9k plus running back, like cook and McCaffrey doesn't put up 50. Like I'm probably, I'm probably ahead of those types of lineups. Because the chances of a 4K wide receiver giving me 25 plus points, it happens, but it's almost unpredictable. And what if that's going to happen? And I think too many people think like, oh, I pay up a running back and let me play three of those 4K wide receivers and hope one of them get like, what's the chances that three of them get there? That to win a large field GPP, you're going to need a lot more. And it's more likely the wide receiver one types, like I mentioned, they're going to be on the field like a hundred percent of the time. Like they, unless they're injured, they ain't coming out of the game. Right. Occasionally, you know, yes, they may not play a hundred percent of snaps, but they're playing 95% of snaps. Why do we want to do that instead of playing? You know, I'd rather do that than play a running back that has good touchdown equity, but only sees the field 60 to 65% of the time, which in this day and age in NFL is quite high. And I think people are overestimating running back production because if you're not on the field, like you can't possibly score points. And there's just too many teams that on a week to week basis are willing to go with the hot hand or play very situationally. And I think uh, much of the field overestimates, overestimates their ability to predict that. It used to not be that. It used to be the target. Oh, it's harder to predict wide receiver two, wide receiver three. It's like, to me, it's to me, running backs are, that to me, running backs are more tilting than than wide receivers. Yeah, uh, so I, I I agree with all that first off, and I also just want to add in that um, paying expensive running backs and paying down at tight end used to be the thing that you would do. That that used to be the thing that you would do, um, and then you would take uh, uh, your stack with your quarterback, and then you would have the wide receiver one, wide receiver two. You'd pay down a tight end, you'd pay up at running back, you'd pay down at defense, and that was the way that you were to do things. Um, that's not the way that you should do things anymore. I totally agree. Um, there are so many running backs and so many, like the mid-range running backs last year, it was like the Gibson and the Chris Carson, um, the, these mid-range guys that had a bunch of upside, not only because they were cheaper, but also because they did have... Uh, receiving and touchdown equity. The thing that I pay most attention to when it comes to running backs is uh, red zone touches. Like I, I don't even, I almost don't care that much outside of like Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook. I almost don't care that much at all about any of the other things outside of is this running back frequently in when they want to score a touchdown. And like you said, there are situations like Tampa Bay Buccaneers where <laughs> good luck trying, trying to pick who they're going to use in the red zone who they're going to use throughout the entire game like that they just rotate running back 
Uh, we've seen the Philadelphia Eagles do it as well. We've seen a lot of teams where they are dedicated to using a running back by committee um, and trying to guess, trying to say, oh, well, th this time the, the Bears are going to use, uh, imagine if the Bears use David Montgomery in all this time. And it's like, but they use other running backs. So David Montgomery, when he's 7K, he's going to be super popular and people are going to be playing him uh, instead of paying down a little bit towards a running back that is going to be getting 65% of the snaps, just like him, going to be getting seven red zone opportunities, just like him, and is only 5,500, something like that. Um, there's a lot of edge in doing that, paying down at running back and paying up for, I, I mean, Devontae Adams, he was automatic last year. Right? Well, how about two years ago with Michael Thomas? Two years ago with Michael two years, Thomas. Two years ago, Michael Thomas was a cheat code. People were still not, he was 90, he, he was one slate. I think he was like 9,800. And I still had him as the most inefficiently underpriced player because he just like, he just woke up with 28 points. Like just walk out, walks out of bed with 28 points. Yeah. And Antonio Brown as well, a couple of years ago where he, he was literally, he was underpriced at 10K. He was underpriced at 10k and under owned there were games where people would take Le'Veon Bell instead of Antonio Brown they, they like Le'Veon Bell I can remember specifically one week where it was the Steelers on the road against the Dolphins they were like 13 point favorites and Antonio Brown was like like 13 percent owned or something and Le'Veon Bell was 50 percent owned so they're like oh they're gonna blow the Dolphins out of the water and then that came down to it and Antonio Brown far outscored Le'Veon Bell because it, it was freaking Le'Veon. It was freaking Antonio Brown. Situations like that. Uh, I, I do think that wide receivers um, and premium tight ends. I wanted to add that in as well because that's where I was kind of going with this. It used to be that you paid up at running back, down at tight end, tried to go mid range or cheap at wide receiver. That that used to be the way that you would try to do things. Now I think there's a significant premium on tight ends, like significant, significant, significant. Well, people are hoping that la last year it was Logan Thomas and it was uh, Mike Sickey and it was, uh, who's dude, Chris Herndon, right? Like those guys, are, they're 3,500. We're going to project them for 19% of the target share. They're underpriced. Meanwhile, Travis Kelsey is putting up 35 fantasy points every single game. And people aren't playing, like he's half the ownership of these cheap tight ends. Uh, Darren Waller, 30 fantasy points. Friggin' George Kittle, it, like these super premium tight ends. It's it's almost automatic that you can get 60 fantasy points out of your tight end and your wide receiver one, and people just choose not to do it and gamble on the cheaper alternative so they can pay up for Dalvin Cook or pay up for Christian McCaffrey. Um, and I, I think there is a lot more when you consider ownership. Like maybe in a vacuum, those two things are relatively similar, right? Maybe in a vacuum. Christian McCaffrey plus a cheap tight end plus a mid range wide receiver scores in the same range of outcomes as a cheaper running back with an expensive wide receiver and expensive tight end. Maybe it's close, but when you consider the ownership, you're getting your combination. You're gonna get it'll be half or a third of the ownership, right? Or right. more. So when you're if you have something, that's what I always tell people: if two players are projected similarly and one is going to be 5% owned, and one is going to be 25% owned, There, you would have to have so much leverage in the rest of your lineup to not just choose the cheap, the, the less owned one in that 1v1. Like, how much leverage do you already have to have 
in order to just not take the lesser to over. take the extra one point two points in projection right yeah, you'd have to have some really really wacky lineup yeah you would have to have an entire the rest of your lineup would have to be basically like in the single digits for you to not choose the lesser owned alternative there because you gain so much over the field and they're similarly projected so you're you're not even you're losing one point of medium projection so that you can have 20 percent less owner that's gold that's gold jerry that is gold so it's things like that i i think the ownership and you and i talk so much about ownership so much more i think than roster roster <laughs> you and i talk so much more about leverage than i hear in is leverage in, a good word can we say that i think we can, i think we can say that you know i talk so much more about it than, than other parts of the industry i think and i don't think people talk about it enough it's the single best thing that you can think about when you are building out your lineups because projections are so efficient now and and so many people have access to optimizers and stuff like that that they don't think enough past it they, they don't. And I think that it's the biggest edge. Just think about ownership. Think about the way that you're putting this together. If you ever see two players, if you see Dalvin Cook directly next to Derrick Henry, they are both 8,900. They are both projected for 24 fantasy points. And Dalvin Cook is 7% owned and Derrick Henry is 35% owned. Dalvin Cook. Just it's. I don't even know what would make me choose Derrick Henry over Dalvin. No, but it would be, it would be pointless. That I mean mathematically, you'd be correct. Uh, but 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 I have a feeling. But but James, I have a feeling Derrick Henry is going to going to going to get there. So I want to play him. Yeah, well, your your gut feeling is what we know about your your uh, your problems with that. So, um, but let's not choose that one, and let's just go with one that's going to win you a GPP, man. P- people just they fall into these biases and this groupthink. They're like, oh well, uh, Graham Barfield told me that it's Derrick Henry week. You know, uh, the Al's uh, the helicopter was, plays. You got to play oh, the helicopter. Oh, yeah, the, the helicopters. They had the Pat Thorman, the helicopter player, man. It's, it's Derrick Henry this week. That's why. That's why everyone's going there. If these smart people think that he's the better play, then he must be the better play, right? I I I, I put a Twitter search. What how I choose my lineups, James? I do a Twitter search for SZN, and whoever comes up, that's <laughs> who I play. I need to know what season it is. So uh, basically, on Saturday night. Screw the Schefter tweets. I'm looking for for whatever insert player name Sizen, and and then I'm making my lines. Right? Do do you think that's a good process? I do actually. I well, so fun fact. That's actually how I do. In fact, build my cash game lines. I just find the highest owned players and I just play them because that's what everybody else is probably doing. And then I block half the field. But in GPPs, man, I I think that you could legitimately go to go to Twitter and look up season and fade at least one of those five players. Like take, take five players that you find on season on Twitter. Just go Twitter, just go search season S Z Z on Sunday or on Saturday. Right. Because that's when people are really talking about who they uh, I'm searching play. it right now. Okay. All right. Let's find see. five players, put them into a spreadsheet and then close your eyes and randomly pick one. And that's who you fade that week. Okay, yeah, we're not getting much. 
yeah, we won't get one until until next next week. I may have to right because there's also people talking about you know obviously other things other than the NFL. Fred season season. People have okay. Here's here's some, that's a lot of soccer stuff. So I guess oh, it's, not, it's, it's, it's not it's not just fantasy football. Well, that people are. I would wrong. Pe- oh, for search from people I follow. Then. There okay, now now we now we get it. now now we get it. So here we go. Three hours ago, Matt Kajeski, Amron Ross St. Brown season. That must there be a is. college player. Tiny home season, Colt McCoy season, Kyler Colt season, McCoy. Ray Ray McLeod season. <laughs> right. So you don't get many. Right. We're back down to August twenty sixth. Right. Hendo discount season. McColl season. Showdown season. Game log season. <laughs> Game log season. Jake Funk season. The funny part is half of these are Eric Bimeford doing it ironically. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, yeah, so this will be, but if you do, do from people that you follow, right? Yeah. Obviously, I'm following like fantasy football people, right? So the week of you, you 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 put that on and then you start fading people. Well, I and I mean, there's there's another way to do that too. Like if you have a a fanshare subscription, like they literally their algorithm is their algorithm for predict for projecting ownership is actually based off of mentions and aggregation, right? That doesn't seem so that precise. It's really really good. It's smart. Um, and what they will do is they will take mentions and they'll take articles and they'll scour through things and they'll scour through Twitter. They have like a thing that pulls in names and they do sentiment based analysis where that's how they are projecting out ownership. And you can see how often on their dashboard, how often a player is mentioned and whether it is good sentiment or bad sentiment. And you'll see how many, like one player, Andy Isabella season, he has 12. Troutman season that week last year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 13 positive sentiments, one negative sentiment. So 13 sources are saying, play this guy. One is saying, fade this guy. And they'll, they'll do that for you. You can aggregate, you can do that. Jordan, you are a man that loves to subscribe to things that do things for you. You don't even have to search season anymore. You can just go to Fanshare. They'll do it for you. Right. So I'll, I'll get, I'll be able to get the XML and put in my, my, my season <laughs> column into my model. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm excited for NFL season, man. I'm always uh, excited. It's the biggest contest. I mean, that the reason why, you know, I focus on NFL is because that's where the money, I mean, that's where the money is. And especially in the beginning of the season, I mean, towards the end, you know, casual money kind of dries out, but it's still there. I mean, it's, it's the most popular DFS sport by tenfold of any others. Oh yeah. Tenfold of all of them put together. Yeah. Going through the YouTube chat a little bit. The nice the, thing for you is that you're already in the black because of MMA. You, I'm, you in the black have, and, I'm in the black and everything other than golf. Well, no, I mean like you're on the, year, on, the, on the year you mean your year is already made. Oh yeah. My, yeah. Made. My year's already like, uh, there's no, there's no way for me to, Based on my volume, there's no way for me to end this year not profitable. Right. Yeah. And and so you're you get to go into this stress free. Well, no, it's still stress. So what? If I lose sixty thousand dollars, like that's a good thing? No, of course. Stress free, Jordan. Stress free. 
Uh, Cody Goddard from 1116 AM. Uh, I see the question. Uh, It'd be way too complicated to go into it now. I would suggest, Cody, that you watch previous uh, episodes of the pregame show. Go to theoryofdfs.com, get the 15-hour audio DFS Masterclass. It's more than just, you know, the question that you asked. Uh, Michael Dompey, I don't even understand the question. Do the DFS sites leave number of entries and contests relatively static for week one, or do they increase it significantly? If the latter, does the impact in the EV enough to matter? Though they, they can't add. No, I don't can't. understand that question. So he, he's asking like if they are putting out the contests early and then adjusting the size before we- No, but he can't. They're not allowed. And, yeah, that's, that's illegal. So they, right. they can't do that. Uh, what did they do? How did FanDuel pull off that thing where they were giving, up, giving away Bitcoin and it was unlimited entries? Because it wasn't a, it, I don't, because they were giving out a prize. Not oh, okay. money or something. Who knows? I don't know. It was worthless to play. That was the highest ranked tournament I've ever seen in the history of DFS. The worst tournament you ever could have entered. Ever. Fan, FanDuel, I think, the, here's my theory. I think FanDuel doesn't care about their product anymore because they made so much in rake off of that one contest that they don't have to care anymore. Do you, do you notice on FanDuel, every, I mean, I, I don't play there as often. I mean, I will for NFL. Uh, that sometimes they list their, the, the, the contest listings have the, like, the, the variable placeholders in them. Yes. Yes, pool. I do notice that. Right, pool, name, right? You go to your contest, it's like, how am I doing in name, right? Like, like really? Dude, that, that site is just trash. <laughs> trash. And then, and then, no, hilariously, it was, it was NBA Top Shot hired their, like, their media or their, their, their like, community, social media person yeah. or something, communication. Like, read the room. <laughs> Top Shot, read the room. We all hate FanDuel's community manager. Yeah, but the games are soft. So that, that's why that's, when I it comes know. down to it, you're going to play. You're going to play where the fish are, right? You're going to fish where the people are, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got to go to the right pond if you're going to fish. Right. So on FanDuel, like FanDuel, I got, oh, I got all these tickets. I didn't even realize it. That's how, that's, I won so many tickets, satellite things in MLB that like I have to play on FanDuel the first. I mean, I, I normally do, but I normally just play cash games on FanDuel. I just, you know, build one cash lineup and that's it. But I just got like, I looked at FanDuel for the first time in like three, three or four weeks. And it's like, oh, you have 75 tickets to the Thursday showdown contest. <laughs> I do. And I have a hundred for the Sunday million. And I'm like, oh, I guess I, I guess I need to make I guess I need to make Fandle GPP lineups now. So I, I guess I didn't realize how many satellite tickets I won during MLB season that they got me credited. And I'm like, it's one of those things where like I can't not put in entries. Right. Yeah. It's $500 worth of entries. Right. Like it's, it's like the work, the least I could do is go to lineup HQ and just put default and just whatever the top 70, I don't care if they're duplicated. I don't care about anything because by putting in no lineups, like you're just, you're throwing away. It's like, it's infinite EV at this point. So you might as well just throw, even if I'm playing the same lineup 75 times, that's better than not putting anything in. What you should do, you should go to lineup HQ. You should just set a, a uh, an ownership threshold, right? Of like, 
what what is it for NFL? You probably you want like less than ninety percent. I don't remember off the top of my head. Over right, whatever. I'd run the optimal and see what that is, and then find something lower. Yeah, and then just like cut that in half and just throw a hundred lineups that are super low owned in, and just like not even look. Who, who cares? Just not even look. Right. Doesn't matter. You're describing my process. That's that will be my <laughs> process for FanDuel on next Thursday, right? Because I'll be I'll be playing the I'll be making showdown lineups on DraftKings, but I don't like I don't like uh, FanDuel's uh, showdown product. No, it's super negative. Right. Uh, I, I, I think on, on most slates, there's no such thing as a plus EV lineup. No, there's not. I think if you simulated it out, like not everyone would lose. I keep trying to tell people that, and they're just like, oh, what, but I only play on FanDuel. It's like, well, you shouldn't play those on FanDuel. You're just. Right. You want to play for fine. entertainment? Sure. Whatever. Yeah. But, right. But, but don't like, but, don't, don't come into my Discord asking me, well, what do you think I should do on FanDuel? I'm like, don't play. Don't play right with the fifteen percent with fifteen percent rate, five man rosters, and two hundred thousand person fields. Like if you want to play showdown, if you want to play the higher stakes, there are plus yeah, EV lineups in the higher right. If you want to play a hundred man, play a hundred man. But the large field stuff, like I, I, I don't believe unless un, unless there are slates uh, on on showdown games where the teams are vastly have a lot a larger roster like we see sometimes with the Colts they'll use five wide receivers and three running backs and it's like there's so many more viable projected players yeah. that maybe there are some less less you know less duped lineups but other than those like like it's quite possible that you could every you can make every combination of, of lineup and it will be in that contest and they'll if you ran out the simulation, uh, you don't win enough often enough for the time that every lineup is negative. Yeah, if you had like, uh, if you had like, I'm trying to think of super, super condensed wide receiver pools. If you had like the Seahawks versus the Chargers on FanDuel, like just don't even play that. There's, there's the Vikings like, now. Vikings, yeah, yeah. If you if you have the Seahawks versus the Vikings and it's on Fanduel, just just don't don't throw your money away. There's like or play the or play the smaller field. Like we're just talking about the large field yeah, stuff. I just, just want to make it clear. Field. Just large field. Play play right. smaller field if you want. Right, Michael Dampier. I think he's clarifying his question. My last question wasn't worded great. Uh, more direct example: There are 1.2 million spots for the five dollar millionaire game one contest. So uh, so week one contest, not not. We're talking about the Thursday showdown or the Sunday first slate. How many spots are there for that showdown contest on Thursday? I don't even know. I'm going to take a look. I mean, it's going to matter. It's going to, there'll be a difference. I'm going to go on my phone. So showdown captain mode. Tournaments. No, it's not. No, he's talking about week one. Because the showdown slate, the $10 contest is 473,000 entries. So he must be talking about week one it's not unplayable it's just that it's very hard to win <laughs> i mean it's not un- there's no such thing as unplayable there are there are tons of plus ev lineups for that realizing that ev is good you're gonna have to live like 700 lifetimes in order to realize that so but it doesn't mean that it's not plus ev yeah the hard part about that is like you you, you can play it for fun just play for fun. I, I, it's it's entertainment value, right? You and I talk about that quite a bit. Like if you if you have uh, twenty bucks, you can go to you can go see a movie, 
we're not in a pandemic anymore, so you can go see a movie. Or you can put four lineups in the Millie Maker and and but build those four lineups to win the win the damn thing. Well, absolutely, but don't ever look at it as like that. There are contests I think that I will enter because I think that I have a chance to win them, and there are contests that I will enter just because I am playing. You know no, what I mean? I, but I don't think that I. There, the only reason I enter contests is because I'm plus EV. The the thing is. I separate my volume based on how well I could realize that. So for instance, this $5 milli week one, I will be playing. Sure. Does, am I going to play 150 entries? I'm not sure yet, but it's going to be a percentage of the volume that I play. The reason why I typically don't play the $20 milli when it's offered most weeks is because I'm playing X, like maybe I'm playing $8,000 worth of volume. And I'm, already, I'm playing, you know, 100 lineups into the $9 slant, right? I'm, I'm already allocating to better, better structured contests. I'm playing three into the power sweep, the spy. I'm going to play the $400 juke. And then I'm going to play like 5,000 in cash games. And it's like, when it gets to the end of it, it's like, yeah, I could play five milli light, right? Five $20 milli lineups. Because it only represents 100 bucks out of $8,000 worth of volume. Sure. I'm not the type of person, oh, I have $8,000 worth of volume. I'm going to max, if I maxed out a $20 milli, that's $3,000 right there. So like it would represent like 37% of my total volume on a contest that I may be plus EV in, but realizing that it's like, unless you win first, you're dead type of things. Like I'm not, I'm not going to devote that much of my bankroll. On it. So sure. here at a $5 level, if I pull 150 lineups into it, that's 750. I'm playing eight thousand dollars worth of volume. Okay, yeah. Like, like for for it to be you know less than ten percent of my total volume. Okay, that may not be that bad. And even when the milli is twenty dollars, and it's like, well, why don't you play ten lineups into it? It's like, well, which ten lineups am I playing? Like, I don't even want to. I don't even want to use. I don't even want to use that time to think about it. So I just don't, don't even want to use that brain power to to think through what to put in that context. Only because I play all unique. So it's like, what what of those ten? Right. I'm going to pay. It's going to be, I mean, I'm already making lineups. I make all my lineups based on the slant anyway. So yeah, like the, the difference between the slant and the, and this $5 million is actually humongous. Yeah. Gigantic. It's magnitudes different. Right. Even though the slant I consider to be like, Oh, I need to be weird to play that kind of like no, $5 million is like, you need the nuts, the yeah. nut, nut lineup. So it's like, if that was a $20 contest, it's like, Oh, choose your five most nuttiest lineups. It's like, well, <laughs> Those nuttiest lineups won't even be in the slant because I would think they're too, right? They're, they're too, too weird, right? For even that contest. Yeah. So now I'm spending time to do that. And it's like for $100, $200 worth of volume, like it's just, it's just, it's not a priority to me. I'm not looking, I don't need to win the Millie Mate. I, I think it's, it's, the, it's the worst structured contest in all of DFS. There are plenty of other contests where you can make money at that you don't have to bink once in 700 lifetimes. Sure. And, and if you get it within this lifetime, you're good. But there are plenty of sharp players that have never that have never won the Millie or never come close. And there's plenty of sharp players that have won it multiple times. That doesn't make one better than the other. It's, it, there's, only, there's only 17 Millies, 18. There's an 18th game this year, right? 17. 17, but 18 weeks. Yeah. Okay. So there'll be eight, but they're 18 games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, so there'll be 18 millions plus the showdowns. And to me, I'm more likely, James, to if that contest was a showdown contest. Yeah, 
I would more likely play it. And people will be like, what, you're going to play a 1.2 million entry showdown contest? I go, yeah, I can realize I, the EV is there for that. Yeah. Because there are going to be so many, I mean, NFL showdown is, is nowhere near efficient. No. When it comes to, because I want, I want there to be a lot of, I, the more entries, the better, because that means more duplicated entries. And the more money up top. Right. And the more money up top and in showdown, uh, you're only, I mean, you are literally only aiming for first. Yeah. At least in like normal GPPs, like it's like, oh, well, if I get fifth, that's fine. If I get fourth, I can make some money. If I come in the top 20, I'll be profitable. It's like, no showdown. It's like you're either first or you lost money. And I try to tell that to people all the time. And they're still like, oh, well, I can't fade this 50% on cap. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you, you can. should. That please, please fade him. Unless there's like a, a super viable alternative. I, anyway, we'll talk about that another time. We're on. Right. We'll have all the, We'll have all the time in the world to talk about it. It's NFL. It's NFL season. Season. It's L. It's season. SCN. It's NFL, It's it's thummy thumb season. Hit those thummy thumbs. Hit the subscribe button. It's subscribe button season. It's notification bell button season. It's Grinders Live season. Later today, they'll be going over the, the MLB slate. Crunch time season for premium members. It's premium member season. Hit the, hit the link in the description. Get $10 off your first month. It's Theory of DFS season. It is. So if you go to theoryofdfs.com, well, if you want to play DFS better, the game theory of DFS, no matter what the sport, NFL season is coming up. Brush up on your game theory of DFS. 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. It has all of these concepts in here. Game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, and psychology. Me and James talk you through everything. You could listen to it multiple times. Right. It's not just for NFL. It's not this is you do more of this, you do more of that. It's more math based, but it's not like you need to memorize fancy formulas or anything. If you understand these concepts, you can do well. You could be profitable in any DFS sport, even MMA, like right? MMA, even though I even though I MMA did not go well for me this past uh Saturday. It 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 doesn't help my profitability. When my highest exposed fighter gets knocked out with the first strike in 30 seconds into the fight. <laughs> Again, against one of the highest owned dog fighters on the slate. And that guy is the highest score. That guy is optimal. So, uh, so yeah. So if you want to learn, go to theoryofdfs.com. James is at paydirt underscore DFS on Twitter. And uh, You'll you'll be you'll be back you'll 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 still be here for for NFL season even though next Monday, uh, we're we're preempted by uh, by grinders by uh, by crunch time by early crunch time which I'll be on just be a little bit twelve fifteen, but uh, I'll 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 be on later this week Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday happy days we'll still be discussing MLB like tomorrow I think uh, review today's slate for MLB but it's NFL season we'll be talking about NFL NFL showdown NFL strategy. Going Mondays and Tuesdays, going over lineups from Sunday, seeing what, you know, showdown lineups, everything. Uh, and then NBA will be back and then we'll mix that in. So it, it's the DFS pregame show. So we talk about all of DFS, regardless of what is going on on that given day. So, uh, James, uh, 
Paydirt, if people want to get your model, that's at paydirtdfs.com, right? Uh, okay, so no. Uh, no, no, it's not what? <clears throat> okay, so it's, I have two sites right now. I have my ghost site and I have my WordPress site. So my DNS servers are actually directing to paydirtdfs.com. Like on, it's not just an A name anymore. Like it's on, it's- Oh, WordPress. you actually knew it. You did it. I, you I did, did it. it. So that is going to the WordPress site right now, which isn't quite set up yet, but it's live because I'm not a web developer and I suck at this, but that's heading there. And then I have paydirt.ghost.io, which is where you can find all my stuff currently, but paydirtdfs.com, the WordPress site will be active before the NFL season starts. So- uh, I'm just in flux right now. By the end of the week, I'll have it figured out. Okay. Well, you, you can find all your stuff over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, doke. So, thummy thumbs on your way out the door, and uh, I will. I will see you tomorrow, as I always do, Mondays through Fridays, eleven o'clock Eastern, for the DFS pregame show on RotoGrinders.com.